Uions is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello, you're listening to You Irons, the West Ham podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Sam Delaney, and as always, I'm with The Athletic Hammers correspondent, Rashane Thomas. We'll continue to bring you podcasts throughout the football hiatus, and we'll be speaking to a different special guest every single week. There's also a raft of great content going up on TheAthletic.com, where they're currently rebooting the 1998-99 season, a year when the likes of Razor Ruddock, John Hartson and Steve Lomaz form the spine of the West Ham team. To read that and much more, go to theathletic.com right now and you can sign up for a 40% discount by using the promo code WESTHAMPOD. It'll cost you less than £3 a month. Right, on with today's show. I'm delighted to say we are joined by a genuine club legend in Tony Cotty. Also alongside me, of course, is Rashane. Rashane, how are you doing? I'm all good, thanks, Sam. You know, with this whole coronavirus stuff, the gym's closed. Cinemas shut down, so I've started cycling to try and keep fit. Let's just go back a bit, Tony. Well, what was it? I mean, I'm, you know, I know this is something that you've covered before, but, you know, I'm reflecting. Why was it that you thought Pellegrini wasn't going to be the right man for West Ham? Um, well, I, I just felt, Sam, I, I felt that managing Manchester City um, with the unbelievable amount of money they've got, with the incredible world-class players they've got, I, I think is... I, I would never call it easy because you've got to manage all the egos and get the players to play, but I think it's a lot easier when you've got those world-class players and the money. And, you know, I, I think if you look at Avram Grant as another example at Chelsea, you know, it, it's a lot easier to do that. You know, when you come to a club like West Ham, there's a lot more that needs to be done from a management point of view. Um, you know, you have to engage with the fans and you have to give the fans what they want. You have to understand what the fans want. Um, and I, I didn't get that impression that that's what he was actually at the club for. You know, he got paid an, an enormous amount of money. Um and, you know, ultimately the results didn't work out for him. Um, you know, I, I, I think I said it, I don't know whether you heard me say it, but, you know, I felt that David Moyes was the man who should have been given the job and he should have been given the opportunity to, to give the club a period of stability. And, you know, I, I think we all know that you can't go from being relegation candidates, which, let's be honest, we have been this year, to getting in the Champions League next year. It's very, very difficult. I know people say Leicester nearly got relegated and won the league and that was an exceptional season so yes it can be done but you know in reality I think it's you know you've got to build slowly and I think that's what I want the club to do so listen we, I think we're going over old ground a little bit you know Pellegrini wasn't the right choice for me I said it at the time and I say it now um, but you know I just want the club to move forward and I'm pleased that David Moyes has got the job. Uh, Tony when we were going through that bad run of form in October and November Pellegrini said that he reckons the turning point was the 4-0 defeat against Oxford United. I mean, is that something you would agree with or do you reckon you're just pretty much making excuses? 
No, I, I think, Rashane, I think that certainly wouldn't have been a bitter blow to everyone. Um, you know, I, I can't say that I played in a team that lost 4-0 at a, sort of a, a club two leagues below. But, yeah. you know, certainly I was involved in some cup upsets and shocks and that. And it, it does knock you as a player. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know because I, I'm not sure if... if you know the the European and the and the continental players. I'm not sure they worry about yeah. cup competitions as much as what we seem to do as a as an English nation. You know we're we're quite rightly we're obsessed with winning cups, and the reason for that is we're West Ham. You know we're not yeah. going to win the Premier League. We're not going to win the Champions League. Not on, not unless a rich rich owner comes along to back us like Man City. We're not going to win those competitions. So the yeah. cup competition should be the be and be be all and end all of things but um, yeah I mean it, it was a bitter blow but if I remember rightly that the team that was put out that night wasn't it wasn't as if it was a reserve team it was you know there was a strong team put out and you know I think it was certainly a game we should have won and we just never seemed to recover after that and went into the downward spiral and yeah I think you can certainly point to that result being a, a game changer there's no doubt about that but there was enough games after that for, for the boys to rally and, and certainly pick up league points and and uh, you know, get better results, really. Yeah, Tony. Just going back to the um, London Stadium, how, how do you think we can go about making it a fortress? Because, I mean, just carving it from a media point of view, like in my opinion, West Ham fans are great at away games. I mean, I remember the Chelsea match when um, David Martin made, made his debut, and West Ham. I mean, West Ham fans are going crazy every time Martin made a save. West Ham fans are just acting as if we just scored a goal. So, I mean, how do you reckon we can go about, you know, making uh, a fortress to run the stadium? <sighs> you, you can't wave the magic wand. I, I, you know, I go back to what I said. Results is the only it's the only way you can do it. You know, the, the team needs to work harder, I think. You know, individually and as a team, we need to work harder. Um, I, I think I've been at the stadium quite a few times when the atmosphere has been fantastic and we've got great results and... You know, everyone's enjoying themselves. Um, you know, our home form, for for many reasons, this year has just been poor, yeah. um, and and that can happen sometimes. I, I think sometimes as as players, and I'm not making excuses for the players, by the way, but sometimes as players, I think you can sense the pressure at a home game. And you know, listen, that was the same at Upton Park, by the way. There wasn't. That's not just the London Stadium. There was times at Upton Park where. You know, you could sense there was hostile atmosphere. The fans were agitated. We're losing games, and you know it, it's hard for everyone because the the fans have got to motivate the players, and the players have got to motivate the fans, and it's a partnership. And you need both working together to get those results. So, um, you know, I, I always think that the players have got to kickstart it. They, they, you know, they need. You know, I watch some of the games this season, and I watch us stand off teams, not press from the front, um, let them have. I don't know, 300 touches of the ball in the first 10 minutes. And it it, it, fury, it really infuriates me. It really does. Whereas if you look at the, the couple of the recent games, you know, where we've we've gone on the front foot and we've pressed teams, even at Liverpool, even at Arsenal, we put them under pressure and we press from the front. And listen, if it's good enough for Liverpool, we're going to win the league by 25 points. It's good enough for West Ham. That's what we need to do. We, you know, if you get Mikel Antonio and the team alongside Haller, and then you press and push from the front, it makes a hell of a difference to the rest of the team. So that's what we have got to do in terms of getting results. We just got to get on the front foot and put teams under pressure. And you know, the fans react to that. You get a Robert Snodgrass or someone put a tackle in, the fans love it. And you know, we haven't done enough of that this year. 
Tony, obviously there's been very well publicised fan protests against the owners of the club uh, over the last few months. Do you think that those bridges can ever be rebuilt? You've been around the club through a number of different owners now um, and you've seen these protests before, going back to the days of the the bond scheme and and so on. Do you think that these owners can ever re-earn the trust of the fans? I don't know, Sam. I, I, it's a difficult one for me to answer. Um, I, I think ultimately, if we was to win something or achieve something, then yeah, of course you can you can build the bridges. Um, but <coughs> excuse me, it's not you know it's not healthy. I don't think for uh, at any football club when there's you know distance between the fans and and the board and the owners of the football club, it's not healthy at any any club. So. Um, I, I don't know what the answer is. Um, I can only come back to to results because I'm, I'm a football man. I'm not a politics man. It's not for me to get involved in the politics of what's going on. But as a football man, you know, I come back to that one word, results. You know, well, two words, results and consistency. And if we can do that, then everything picks up. Everything looks, you know, rosier in the garden and, and the, the team moves up the league and we start to do well in the Cups and, and you get performances again. So... I think uh, I think that's the main thing is to just try and you know get the results right on the football field and then hopefully everything else will fall in behind it. Yeah, I mean I agree with that. I'm, I don't doubt that if if David Moyes was given a chance and and got us to a cup final or or something like that, then then we'd all probably be a bit happier. But you do have insight to um, the mechanics of, of, of you know purchasing, owning, running a club in as much as you did once put together a group that, as I understand, came quite close to successfully um, uh, buying West Ham. I mean, a lot of fans now are thinking, OK, David Sullivan, David Gold, they, they want to keep the club. They've got kids. They, they you know David Sullivan would like his kids to one day inherit the club. And I kind of get, get that. I understand that. But part of me thinks a club like West Ham, who are living in a stadium... Uh, in a fantastic part of town with a great global reputation, amazing support. We fill out that stadium every week, you know, despite the fact that we've not been playing very well. And we've got this incredible piece of real estate that we don't own, but I don't think that the authorities have much desire to keep hold of it. So if a, if, if a very uh, rich owner came in and bought the club, I'm sure they'd find it not that difficult to buy the stadium as well. And then perhaps even rebuild it in a way that would be more agreeable to us fans. What I'm saying is, Tony, you know about the sort of people who are out there interested in buying clubs. I would imagine that even in a global context, West Ham United must be one of the most attractive clubs to look at right now. Yeah, I agree with all that, Sam. Um, I mean, obviously, it's not probably the right time to talk about things like that with all what's going on in the world. And, um, you know, there's a lot more important things happening um, in terms of the club being attractive. Yeah, of course it is. It's a fantastic club. It's a fantastic brand. Um, you know, we've got I think over a million fans scattered all around the world that think the world of the football club and are very passionate and emotional about the football club, myself included. So, you know, we all want what's best for the football club. And listen, I, you know, you're right. I know, I know David Sullivan. I know David Gold. And and you know, I, 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 the one thing I would like to think, and I think they've said it publicly, so I can say this, is that they would they would do what's in the best interest of the football club. And if, you know, if that were to happen, that someone came along and it was in the best interest of the football club, I'm sure something would happen. But, 
you know, there's, there's very few people in, in the world who can afford football clubs, you know, especially with all what's going on at the moment. That might mm. change even even more so that there's less people. So, um, you know, I, I think it's important that we, we, we get back and we concentrate on the football and, and then just see what develops over the next five years or so. Um we just lastly about the owners. Uh, there was um, a, a lot of attention paid to Karen Brady. Karen Brady's son column, of course, always uh, causes a lot of controversy and it frustrates a lot of Hammers fans. She was the first person uh, in a senior position at a Premier League club to sort of stick her head above the parapet and say that the season should be declared null and void, which you might say would suit West Ham down to the ground. Um, what, what do you? What's your opinion on that? Well, listen, obviously Karen's entitled to her own opinion, Sam, but, you know, my own personal opinion is, um, you know, 100% that the season needs to be completed. Um, and, I, you know, I agree with what most people have said, most pundits, most experts, most football people um, have said that, you know, this, the, the season must be completed. Now, if that is in April, May, June, July, December, even, it, you know, for me, that doesn't matter. But for the integrity of our game, and and for the honesty of our game, we need to complete the season, not just for the Premier League, but for everything else that goes with it. You know, the Champions League places, the relegation places, West Brom and Leeds trying to get promoted, the playoffs, League One, League Two, you know, the 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 Vanarama, all, all those leagues. Everyone has, you know, the the players and the fans and everyone has is sweaty blood and tears and effort for for twenty nine thirty games so far. And I think it's really, really important that we finish the season. And, you know, we've we've had times before where there's been hardship in football and, you know, there's been disasters and there's been wars and all sorts of things have happened over the history of our game. But we've always completed our leagues. And I, I think that is something that is fundamental that must be achieved, uh, you know, come what may, we need to just finish the league and then worry about next season, the year after and the World Cup and all that that follows the Euros and we'll worry about all that after but let's, let's not just the English league but let's finish off the, you know, the domestic leagues and then we can worry about things after that but as I said, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Rashane, you've always got your ear to the ground. What do you reckon's going to happen? What do you think the plan is? They've said they'll, they'll, you know, they're, I guess it, theoretically they're, they're ready to start again in April. But if you listen to what the Prime Minister and everyone in the know is saying about the crisis, it's unlikely that they're going to be wanting people to pack out stadiums again as early as that. Uh, yeah. what, what do you think the most likely outcome is? Well, I, I, I agree with Tony. I think the season will be completed at some point. But... Obviously, after yesterday from the, uh, the Premier League conference call about the earliest the Premier League will return, well, not Premier League, the English Football League will return is the end of April. I, I, I highly doubt that will happen. Mm. I reckon we're looking at probably June, maybe May, end of May even. I mean, it'll be a long time before we see football return. But just just touching on uh, you know football being played behind closed doors, a lot of players are actually against it. A lot of players are on this idea of playing without fans, so... That's also another factor to consider. So yeah, so it's gonna be that's a long not time what football's football. about, Rashane, is it? You yeah. know, playing behind closed doors. You know, it's, we would all understand if that's what needs to happen. But you know, football is about the fans. You know, yeah. you, yes, you, you, if you're a player, you're privileged and lucky to be in that position to entertain fans. But you know, fo- without fans, football football is not the same game. I don't think in the professional game. I'm talking obviously. You know, it's it's about the fans, and the fans deserve to see the games. And you know, I for one wouldn't. You know, I, I wouldn't like to see behind closed doors. I understand if it gets to the the 
you know, the only option, then I get it. But it certainly shouldn't be the first option. Yeah, I definitely Tony, do. Is it, is it possible to play anywhere near the same step, level or standard if you're playing without the fans there? I mean, you know, I doubt a man like you has played much in reserve teams, Tony. But, you know, perhaps the odd occasion when you're coming back from injury. Is it just a completely different experience? Is it hard to capture the same level of performance? Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's, it's a totally listen. I you know I played a lot of reserve football as a you know in, in the in the good old days when we actually had a reserve team and the yeah. players got the the match experience that they need to keep fit. You know, when I was a certainly as a as a sixteen and a seventeen year old before I got in the first team. You know, I played you know numerous times at Upton Park and you're playing in in the stadium, which is great as a youngster. It's great. You're, wow, I'm playing at Upton Park, but you know there's no fans cheering. You, know, you can hear everyone shouting and your manager. Sh- you know, swearing at you or whatever might be going on. So, yeah. um, you know, you can hear absolutely everything. And it's, you know, it is quite a strange experience to, to play in, um, you know, big big football stadiums and, and yet there's no fans watching. So, um, you know, let's not forget that fans, particularly our fans as well, Sam, our fans could be worth an extra point or even three points to us in the running. As, as we've said, there's there's games left, isn't there, of the season? I think we've got four or five home games, whatever it is. And, you know, if our fans were to get behind the players like we know they can and are worth an extra three points, you know, that makes a massive difference in, in a home game. You know, away from home, obviously that works in the favour of the away team. We know that, uh, the home of the other team. But, you know, from our point of view, we want our fans to be there. We want them to share the experience. And, you know, playing in front of fans is what football's all about. Tony, before we let you go, uh, as I mentioned at the top, the Athletic are rebooting the 1998-1999 season at the moment. There's loads of football nostalgia flying around at the moment, which I love. Love a bit of football yeah, nostalgia. Yeah, I do as and, well, and, and, and that's how lots of people are sort of getting through this uh, football hiatus. So they're reliving that season. Now, as much as I don't like to think about uh, any of your time at other clubs because it's like a husband thinking of his wife's other boyfriends. Uh, it's just that I don't feel comfortable with it. Having said that, in the 1998-1999 season, uh, you were player of the year for Leicester, and you got to the League Cup final in that same year. So, well, you know, you must have very fond memories of that period. Yeah, I do, Sam. Yeah, I mean, as you say, quite rightly so, I was at Leicester. It was, it was, was actually my best ever season for, for Leicester. Um, and that was, I think that was also the season where, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not getting this wrong, but um, was that the season when West Ham played the ineligible player? Was that the year after? I'm talking Manny Oman Yimney. Yeah, yeah, we were talking that about that, that yesterday, was Rashane. Was it yeah. that year? Uh, you know, just very quickly, I tracked down his uh, his nephew. So I'm trying to I'm trying to arrange <laughs> something for the podcast. I'm not sure. You might be able to check it while I'm waffling away, boys. But anyway, like I played for Leicester that year, and the, one of my one of my funniest memories of that season, though, you might remember this game, Sam, is that the last game of the season, last home game for West Ham, was against Leicester, yeah. um, and it was a it was a, actually a really really good game. West Ham won the game four three. I remember. Um, I do remember. I was at the game. Yeah. Yeah, and I was actually sub for Leicester that day. Um, and but anyway, but after about sixty minutes, Martin O'Neill said to me, "Go and go and get warmed up." So I sort of run down in front of the old sort of uh, West Stand, like be, um, yeah. bearing the late nineties, the old West Stand. Yeah, and uh, the West Stand fans were singing to me, "Tony is a hammer, Tony is a hammer," which was quite funny. 
Um, yeah. But then, of course, I got on the field of play and scored after 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> but what was funny was when I scored, I went to celebrate at the Bobby Moore end with the fans. And then I realised I was playing for left back. <laughs> so I very sheepishly ran straight back to the halfway line, uh, realising that I, I, I didn't have the West Ham shirt on that I wanted to have on. So just, how many, just how many times did you score at Upton Park for another club? Uh, um, I, I definitely scored for for Leicester. I scored two in that game, and um, there was a game in the mid nineties as well where I scored for Everton, and we we won one nil at West Ham. It was that was the uh, the ninety three ninety four season when Everton beat Wimbledon in the last game, and just mm. before that game we we won one nil up to Park, and I scored the only goal. So, um, Sam, listen, I was paid to score goals, and whether I was playing, yeah, for yeah, 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 Sam, or whether I played for <laughs> any other club, you know, my job was to score goals. And yeah, uh, all right, listen, you have to do it. Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Listen, you never got, you never ever got even a, a single dose of the Frank Lampard Jr. or Paul Ince treatment from any of us, Tony. Um, um, yeah. Uh, Listen, Sam, when I when I, when I I left the club, I got a mixed reaction when I came back. And I think the reason did I you? did that be, because, um, you know, I left in 88 and the club got relegated in 89. Yeah. And, you know, I understood that. You know, there was many fans that were disappointed that I'd left the football club. And, you know, I didn't want to leave the football club, but I felt I had to because we yeah. hadn't kicked on. And, no. you know, that's what that still holds true to this day that, you know, the way to keep players at a football club is either to, to win trophies or play European football. And, and that's what we're trying to achieve. So if we want to keep Declan Rice and young, all our good young kids at the club, you've got to either win trophies or play European football. And that's what we've got to look to do. So you, you um, know, I've yeah. always had a great relationship with the fans. You know it's my team. And I'll, I'll be there. But, you know, I'm sure I'll be there a couple of times before the end of the season to cheer them on. And hopefully we'll be looking at Premier League football for next season for the club. What's weird, what's weird is I, I remember vividly when you went to Everton. Uh, because it was it was between Everton and Arsenal, wasn't it? And they were That's both, right. but they were both vying for you. And I kind of wanted you to go to to Everton. We we knew you were going, and I kind of wanted you to go to Everton because we didn't want you to go to a a London rival. But the funny thing is, when when I when I was younger, I used to sort of if a, if a one of our players who you knew was very much one of our players, like a fan like you went off to a club that was perceived as bigger, which Everton were at the time because they'd been quite recently champions of the league and stuff. You kind of felt, rather than do all that kind of oh, Judas thing, when you're a kid, you sort of feel really proud because you think, oh, look, he's been picked up by... I've, I remember feeling that when you went to Everton. I remember feeling that when Julian Dix went to um, Liverpool. I didn't feel quite the same when Paul Lintz went to Manchester United, I must admit. But it's funny. I mean, I don't know, maybe there were less cynical times, but I think people got less grief for moving in those days. That was my perception anyway. <laughs> Very kind of you to say so, Sam. <laughs> but uh, you was obviously one of the ones that was sort of politely applauding me when I came back as an Everton player, and there was a I few that so. were booing me. But mm. listen, it's, it's, it's football, isn't it? And I think there, there there are also ways of leaving a football club as well. When yes. I when I left my football club, you know, I didn't I didn't have a go at the club. I didn't say anything horrible about the club. I just thanked the club for what they'd done for me, and I moved on. And you know, I was fortunate that I didn't have an agent asking me to put other teams football tops on before I left <laughs> you know and uh, you know I didn't get into trouble and you know I feel for Incy because Incy's a West yeah. Ham boy yeah, he was badly yeah. advised and he's you know he's had to pay the penalty for the last 30 years for it hasn't he you know yeah yeah. Uh, I think people are slightly warmer to him now Tony random question for me but back in those days did you ever like have initiation songs um 
we did, funny enough, not at West Ham. Um, we didn't. We we had certainly had some crazy Christmas parties back in the, uh, the sort of <laughs> early mid eighties, as you can imagine. But um, when I went to Everton, um, we we had our Christmas party, and they they said to me, um, they said you've got to sing a song. Um, so I stood up and saying maybe it's because I'm a Londoner, and uh, at which point they just threw a load of bread rolls at me and everything, and I stood down, and that was it. You know, so it was a really, really poor effort from me. Um, but I think nowadays they take it a little bit more seriously, and uh, they really try and have a go at it. But um, yeah, the, I mean, as far as I know, it's, it's been been ongoing for many, many years now, and it's just it's good because you, you've got to keep that banter going amongst the football club and amongst the football players. Uh, right, Tony, uh, just just very, very lastly, I've seen you posted a video today. Um, very helpful, very community-spirited. Um, a little tutorial of how to wash your hands. I've got to tell you, I really feel that one of the positives to have come out of this situation so far is my hand-washing game has gone up like 200%. I'm focusing so much on it. I'm, re- I'm almost taking pride in it now to see how good I can do it. Uh, just quickly give us your, your rundown, your top tips. Well, just like I've done, you're right, Sam. I've done a little video, and it is just just to make sure you wash your hands properly. And I must admit, over the all my lifetime, you know, I've been infuriated at times, not all the time, but at times when you see blokes going to the toilet and. I'm not talking number ones. I'm talking number twos. They come out of the toilet, don't even wash their hands. And oh my thinking, god! You know, you know, come on, mate. You know, all you got yeah. to do is wash your hands. And, oh, you know, I God, think we're mate. in a, you know, a scenario and a situation now where it's really, really important, um, you know, in terms of this horrible, horrible virus that we all do our, our bit. And, you know, mm. we, you know we've got to we've got to sort of keep the self, dis- the, you know, the distance from each other. And we've got to be aware. And, you know, I've got an 80 year old mum, Sam, and I want to look yeah. after and protect her. So if it means mm. washing your hands for 20 seconds instead of the five seconds that we all used to do, then so be it. Yeah, absolutely. Rashane, uh, are you uh, a thorough hand washer? I mean, in general life, pre-virus, be honest. In general, mate, I mean, I've, I've, I've been collecting hand sanitizers before it became fashionable. Yeah, so, you have, haven't you? I remember you telling me that. You've always been quite into germ watching, haven't you? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So, yeah. <laughs> definitely following uh, Tony from his tutorial. So yep, yeah, check it out. Check out. We'll give that a retweet. Check out Tony's Thanks, tutorial. It's, it's very useful. Uh, Tony, a, a, a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Genuine legend. First time we've had a legend on the podcast. We, we really appreciate your time. Stay safe and stay well, mate. You're welcome, boys. Good to speak to you. And uh, same, same. Stay safe. And uh, let's hope this all passes over soon. Good stuff. Huh. Rashane, we'll be getting together again next week, perhaps with another big-name guest as yet to be announced. Um, Till then, mate, uh, keep cycling and keep washing, I suppose. Never thought I'd sign a podcast off with those words, but here we are. You know what, Sam? I I have a bike. Tony has a bike. I I think you may have to purchase one, you know. Oh, we'll all go for a little West Ham bike ride, but keep three metres apart at all times. That sounds absolutely lovely. Uh, fellas, thanks very much. Come on, you irons, and remember there's only one Samasia Boo.